thankful uh, to Pam for reading the scripture, and I, I, I had a contact her yesterday because we needed someone, uh, another person to serve communion, and I said, I know you're reading scripture, and, also, and she was very gracious, uh, but it wasn't the, necessarily the easiest uh, scripture reading with uh, so many names of Abraham's uh, sons that maybe you didn't even know that he had, and then Ishmael's uh, 12 sons, and so uh, it was, uh, a lot of genealogy in Genesis chapter 25, and uh, it's really easy to tune out when you read these stories, because they're stories from long ago and far away, especially when they just list a lot of names that you don't feel a lot of connection to. I had an interesting experience lately that uh, made me think about this. Uh, When we were home, I asked my parents uh, about a book that my aunt had written when I was a little kid uh, about our family history. I remember her going through uh, all of these documents, uh, asking uh, great-grandparents for stories, and uh, doing research and putting together a book of my father's uh, family history. And so my mom went and got the book, and I thumbed through it a little bit. I looked at the pictures and the documents. And these are names of people that I do not know, places that I have never visited. But as I started to look through this book, and I haven't hardly read any of it, but just in the little bit that I did look at it, I felt a connection to these people. I felt like this was something significant, something important, because I realized that it was telling my story, that I had been born into this family, into this history, with all of these dynamics and stories and everything else. And I felt like as I was looking at these things, I was learning something about myself. So today as we look at Genesis 25, it may not necessarily be your family story that it's telling, but it is the story of a family. And there were certain people who would read these stories, and these names were very important to them because they were their ancestors. But even if you're not related to them, there's a helpful, a helpful reminder for you might be that you were born into a family. You were born into a family with a history and with dynamics and with relationships. And some of these stories and uh, dynamics and relationships and conflicts are known. And some are not. But it is all part of your story. We have called this series Generation to Generation. And yet uh, all we've really talked about is Abraham and a little bit about his sons Isaac and Ishmael. But today, suddenly, in Genesis chapter 25, we jump uh, past Isaac and Ishmael and get all the way to uh, Abraham's grandchildren, Jacob and Esau. And you have heard the biblical phrase, it's quoted uh, in, in the Old Testament and by Jesus in the New Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are reminders to us of where this story is going, of which of these children and which of these generations uh, God is using and telling the story of. But even those 
who become part of the main characters in God's story. Even those who don't become the main characters in God's story, they also, God also has something very significant to say about them as well. So today as we look at Genesis chapter 25, I want to see some of the major principles that uh, are in the Bible about families. And one of the things that becomes abundantly clear in this chapter and throughout the uh, book of Genesis is that all families have some sort of dysfunction. That everyone is born into some sort of a dysfunctional family. You may think that it is only your family that has the weird family members, that has the difficult dynamics, but I promise you, it is every single family. And one of the times that those dynamics are most likely to come out are at major family gatherings like weddings or uh, family reunions or at funerals. And in Genesis chapter 5, we have the funeral of Abraham. And we read in verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre. That's such a simple line to say that two sons came together and they buried their father. And it seems like, oh, everything just went well, and maybe it did in that particular case. But if you read down a little bit farther... You read about Ishmael in the end of verse 16. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Or he settled in animosity to his his brothers. So if that's there uh, in the end of the story, we know that some of those tensions were brewing as they gathered together to bury their father. And a lot of those tensions probably had to do with their own particular stories. Ishmael was actually Abraham's firstborn son, but he was born out of an attempt for Abraham to build a family and a name for himself. God had promised Abraham that he was going to give him descendants, as many as the sands and the sea and the stars and the sky. And instead of waiting for Abraham to fulfill his promises... Abraham uh, follows Sarah's advice and instead takes uh, Sarah's servant as a concubine and produces a child through her. Now, Ishmael becomes a source of conflict in the family until he is sent away. And then as he is sent away and about to die, God shows up to Ishmael and he promises Ishmael that he is going to be the father of a great nation, that nations are actually going to come from him. So God makes his promises, and we're going to see this a little bit, but first we go back to Isaac, who is born after Ishmael. He becomes the child of promise. He is a miracle child. And in many ways, he is favored by his parents. We read in, uh, that 
about um, Abraham's other sons through another concubine, uh, but then in verse 6, but to the sons of his concubine, oh, in verse, verse 5, actually, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Isaac, the second-born son, gets all of the gifts from Abraham. He owns all of his uh, land and all of the inheritance rights and everything else. Something is given to the other sons. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know that uh, Isaac is exalted. And not only is he favored by giving these gifts, but the other children are actually pushed away. We read in verse um, verse 6, to the sons of the concubines, concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. They're sent away. They're not really part of the family. No wonder Ishmael has conflict with his brothers. When this is the relationship that he has with his father then of course he's going to be angry. Of course there's going to be fights over money and possessions and land and things like that. And so Ishmael has a chip on his shoulder. But we see that from Abraham's sons, and then we see the same thing happening in the relationship between Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau. We see that in verse um, verse 25, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And we think, what a strange verse that is. <laughs> that Jacob loved a particular son just because the animals that he went and killed for him tasted really good. (laughs) He really, really loved eating uh, the meat of wild animals. Uh, Isaac is pictured here as a man who is driven only by his appetites. Despite the fact that he had this wonderful heritage from his father, that he was the favored son, he goes and commit, he follows in the pattern of his father, not by being generous and gracious and open, but by also choosing a favorite son named Esau. And so immediately as these two kids are born, they are born into family conflict. Now, if you knew all of your history, if you knew the stories of all of your ancestors, and you knew exactly about your parents and everything about them, you could probably predict fairly accurately why you do most of what you do, why you have certain preferences for certain things, why certain things disgust you or make you angry, why that you need approval in some areas and not in others, why you've chosen the profession or the spouse that you have chosen, or why you have certain addictions or other certain issues in your life, all of this might be explained if you had all of the data to be able to put all of these things together and tell your story with all of the possible information. And if we were looking at things simply 
at a, on a horizontal level, we would be able to um, understand a whole lot about ourselves. We also, in this passage, have a theological interpretation of what is happening. And as people of faith, we recognize that not only are we born into a human history, but we are born into a much larger story that God is writing. And that there are times in which God's purposes are overriding all of those details and tendencies and histories of the human story. When Rebecca is pregnant with Isaac when Rebecca is pregnant with Jacob and Esau, she doesn't yet know that they're twins, but she knows that there's this terrible fighting happening within her womb. And she feels all of this turmoil happening inside of her belly. And she says, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening to me? And when she goes and when she prays to the Lord, the Lord gives her this answer. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God is giving an oracle. God is giving a prophecy about two people who aren't even born yet. And God is saying that I'm going to enter into the story to accomplish my divine purposes that are greater than whatever human history or intentions or efforts may have. God said he is actually going to upset the story where usually in that culture and even in our own culture in many ways, the firstborn is the honored one. The firstborn is the one who gets the special favor from the parents. And in that culture, they specifically, the firstborn always got twice as much, or at least legally, the, the, the law said, the firstborn would get twice as much as his younger siblings. But God says, I am going to disrupt this culture in this story, but instead of choosing the firstborn, I am going to raise up the younger child. And he is going to be the one who is chosen and the one who receives the blessing. This is what happens uh, with Isaac. And then this is, again, what happens with Jacob. God's purposes are overriding the human stories and the human efforts. And once again... If we were able to know all that God was doing in our lives, then we would be able to predict how that we are going to respond to particular situations and how our lives are going to turn out. But ultimately, we, in our own experience, in our own uh, human um, lack of wisdom, whatever the opposite of wisdom is, we really don't have a clue what God is doing or, uh, or uh, in, in any particular situation. is so hard for us to predict. Except, ultimately, we know that God is sovereign 
and that God is really gracious. And that his choice of blessing has nothing to do with our position or with our performance. For Isaac, he had nothing to do with his birth. It was all God's will. With Jacob, it was the same thing. He didn't choose how he was born. God simply chose to bless him. We read the story of Jacob in Esau's birth in verse 25. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah bore them. So Esau is born first, Jacob is born second, but we have the information from God, this data, that Jacob is actually going to be the greater one, and that the, his older brother Esau is actually going to serve him. What we know about Esau is that he is a hairy man. The picture that the Bible gives us is basically that he is like the wild animals that he goes and hunts. And his family doesn't even bother to come up with a creative name for him. They just call him Hairy Man. Uh, Because uh, that's kind of like the, the story that he is going to be born into. He is going to be like a wild animal who only thinks about food. But God's promise is, has been given to Jacob. When Jacob is born, he, he doesn't want to like wait for the time to be born. Instead, he just grabs on a, a little uh, a pre-born baby, grabs on to his brother's heel so that he is born immediately after his brother. It's as if he's chasing after him from the very beginning. And then once the boys grow up, we get this story about Esau going hunting and coming back absolutely starving and desperately needing something to eat. He's so incredibly hungry that when he sees his brother cooking some red stew, he doesn't even have the name for a stew. He just gives me some of that red red. Give me some of that red stuff. His stomach is all that he can think about in that moment. But Jacob, who has the promises of God, rather than saying, yes, you're my brother, I love you and I want the very best for you, sees an opportunity in that moment to take something from Esau. He says, before I give you this stew, I want you to give me your birthright. I want you to give me all of the privileges that you have of being the firstborn. And Esau says, I'm going to die if you don't give me that stew. So uh, I would rather be alive uh, than, than be the f- dead and still be the firstborn. So he sells him his birthright for a pot of stew. You read this story. Jacob comes across as a deceitful, uh, ungrateful, selfish person who will do anything in order to get ahead. And I do think that's the kind of person 
he is. But he's also someone who has received the abundant grace of God. And he has been born into the story that God is written. And God is going to accomplish this story whether Jacob is a good person or not. And here is where we enter into the story. That God has given promises to his people. That God has promised to bless us. But that blessing is not dependent on when we were born or what family we were born into or what skills we have or how good of people we are. But it is only dependent upon God's abundant grace. It is not because we are good people that God decides to bless us, but because of God's own sovereign grace. Jacob is not a good person. He is going to spend his entire life trying to deceive and con people into giving him gifts that God has already promised to give him. And isn't until God, uh, until Jacob comes face to face with God as he wrestles with the angel of the Lord in the tent, that Jacob realizes that there is nothing that he can do to achieve God's blessing. All he can do is bow down and surrender to him. And that is the story of our lives as well. God has promised to bless us. And we may work really, really hard to somehow try to earn all of those blessings, but in the end, we will learn that there is actually nothing that we can do to earn those blessings, that they are only a gift of God's grace. It's really interesting how that this story ends. Verse 34, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, He ate and drank and rose and went his way, that thus Esau despised his birthright. I expected it to say, then uh, Jacob said, you know what, that was really mean of me to to sell you that stew for your birthright. I I just want to feed you because you're my brother and I care about you. Or thus uh, Jacob, maybe the, the closing line should be, thus Jacob took advantage of his brother or something like that. But it actually says, thus Esau despised his birthright. The, the story it puts Esau in a negative light. Because Esau didn't realize the importance of staying connected to his father and ultimately to his grandfather, Abraham. Abra- uh, Esau didn't value the fact that he was a son of Isaac. All that Esau cared about were his appetites. And because of that, he actually elevated his appetites and his desires above his relationship with his father. What this story is telling us, that the one thing that matters in terms of receiving a blessing is not our position, not our performance, but our relationship to the Father, and to his Son. God does not bless us because we are good, but because we have put our faith 
in his son, Jesus Christ. God does not bless us because we were born at the right time or in the right place, but because he sent his son at the exact right time to the exact right place to take our place on the cross, to be crucified, buried, and then to rise again from the dead. All of the blessing and all of the goodness and all of the love that we receive from God is not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and because of our relationship with him. When we get to Genesis chapter 25, it feels really dark. It feels a bit like we haven't made very much progress from Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are in the garden and God is putting a curse on the ground because of what they have done and a curse on, on Adam's work and, the, and the, their brothers, their, their two sons actually end up killing each other and they're passing down all of this dysfunction. Yet in all of this darkness, there's always a thread of God's grace. There is always enough light for us to see that God is still accomplishing his purposes. And all of this story is moving toward the one chosen son, the descendant of Abraham, who would stand in our place and give us all the opportunity to have a relationship with God. So even if you're not descended from Abraham... You can become a child of Abraham and a child of God by putting your faith in God's only son, Jesus Christ. That's where this story is headed, and that's where we are headed together as a community. Where all people, whether they are born as part of the family, whether they are born as the ones who are Uh, rejected and and far away from the family, Uh, whether they're born uh, wise and wealthy or whether they're born ignorant and poor, uh, all of those people have the opportunity to be represented in Jesus Christ. And all of our hope is ultimately in him. We as people put so much... uh, importance on positions and on performance and God says ultimately none of that matters what matters is the story I'm writing through my son Jesus Christ and you are invited to be part of that story by putting your faith in him